You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Halley. Hello, Oilers fans. Thank you once again for tuning in to The Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Connor Halley. You can give me a follow on Twitter, at Connor Halley. And before we get to the show today, got to thank our sponsor, DraftKings. Everyone's favorite time of the year is right around the corner, college football season. To celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new players in the center of the action with $200 in free bets instantly if you bet $1 or more on any college football game. Take advantage of this limited-time offer now. You heard right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any college football game, no matter what head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all of the great promotions and daily odds boosts and what they are offering DraftKings Sportsbook is safe secure and reliable located right here in the United States so it's easy to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any college football game that's promo code THPN to get your free $200 in bets Instantly, for a limited time only, a DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. I am Connor Halley. As we continue on through the summer here discussing the Edmonton Oilers, and since we last spoke on Tuesday, to be totally honest, you not a whole lot has changed. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the rumors that dropped Thursday around 2 o'clock with the Matthew Iwanek of TSN 1260, one half of the Dave Jameson Show, which you can hear on TSN 1260, Monday through Friday from noon till 2. Right now he is in a big chair while JMO is recovering. JMO. If there's any chance you're listening to this, we're thinking of you, and we hope to see you back in the studio soon. Matt, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. It's uh, it's always fun to talk spoilers with you, not going to lie. Yeah, I mean, it, it's fun, and I love doing it. I It's a little easier to do during the season, though, because right now, like, a lot happened. There was the draft, free agency, we had the expansion draft, which was a lot of fun. But right now, I think we're kind of in that dead zone where there's not a whole lot happening right now until camp starts up again. And, and maybe we get something happening with a PTO or something, but with the, Oilers, with the Oilers cap situation, I mean, there's not a lot of room to work with. So Ken Holland's kind of just got to be sitting back and waiting for the season to start. Uh, just as, well, Ken Holland's just at that point, I think, too, where he's enjoying his summer finally now, <laughs> out in Kelowna or doing whatever he's doing that, uh, yeah, he just wants to take his time, maybe get a little bit of break in there as it's a shortened off season. But yeah, no, I forgot about PTO season. I forgot about, you know, we'll get all excited once again. And once we start seeing PTOs get signed with various people. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't even know who's out there still. Like, could you imagine Zdeno Chara on a PTO? He still needs to prove something. Like, we got to see what you got, Big Z. Uh, that, that's what happens but, with old age, I guess. I, well, I, mean, I guess I haven't looked as closely as, again, like you, but it was last year that it didn't Hoffman start on a PTO. Now there was contract reasons, yeah. I think, for that or salary, but it was a PTO with the St. Louis Blues to start. Yeah, I guess, I guess that could be a thing. I just brought up a list here to, to look through this here. It's only, uh, only a couple days old. So you got Zdeno Chara, Casey Sezikis, Jason Demers, Devin Dubnik. James Neal, Kyle Palmieri, Zach Parise, Eric Stahl, Sammy Vatnin, Travis Zajac, 
I mean, I guess there's some names out there. I don't there's know if those, amount. I don't know how many are intriguing to the Oilers. Maybe you bring James Neal back for, uh, that net front presence on the power play in case Jesse Pugliarvi can't get it done. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, I, I do love seeing all this. There's some interesting, like Zach Parise, I forgot that he, he'd be out there <laughs> and where might he land or something like that. But for the Oilers, you do look at this roster and you go outside of signing Kyler Yamamoto. There aren't any real holes on it. There's competition that's going to take place come training camp, third line center. I think the fourth line has some of those. You're going to see a guy like Dylan Holloway. Can he make this team? Ryan McLeod. Defensively, I think we're pretty certain of the seven defensemen. Goaltending, well, we know who the number one is. Who's going to be the number two will be a question. But there's not a spot that you're sitting there going, well, Ken Holland should go bring in one of those guys off that list to fill a hole because it seems like they've got their guys and their list is pretty sure their roster is pretty set. Yeah. And I think, you know, you and Hernan Salas talked about it on the show on Thursday. Like right now, Ken Holland, he's, he's kind of built his team for the next couple of years here and, you know, has to see what happens with it, but it'll be interesting to see if he has anything up his sleeves and, and offers a PTO to one of those guys where they want to come here for a, a lower salary. Maybe not. But I think there's always that temptation. Anytime you get a chance to play with Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, I mean, maybe, just maybe, that's something enough just to, to lure you into the Edmonton Oilers organization. We'll wait and see what happens. Uh, you touched on Kyler Yamamoto, though. Of course, he is an RFA, and he's in kind of an interesting situation because Ken Holland doesn't have that much cap space to work with right now. But obviously, you know, the Oilers hold all the control here. If you were Kyler Yamamoto, what kind of contract are you looking for? Do you want the, the three-year deal, or are you going to say, give me a one-year deal, and I'll try to prove that I can, uh, well, earn more money, more term next time around? Well, I would think I, if I'm Kyler Yamamoto, I look at this and go, I'd want the bridge deal. I'd want the two years. I wouldn't want to be on a one-year deal. I'd want to make a little bit of cash. But I'd also sit there and go, this is a big opportunity for Kyler Yamamoto. You're penciled in right now to be the right-wing, second-line player for the Edmonton Oilers, meaning you are playing alongside Leon Dreisaitl and Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, or you're playing alongside Ryan Nugent-Hopkins and Zach Hyman. That's kind of what we're looking at. You get to play, once again, with elite or very good hockey players in the National Hockey League, and Leon Dreisaitl, one of the best. You should be able to look at that and go, I could get points. I could score. And in two years they're going to owe me money or I'm going to get the money from somewhere else type thing that I, after what he had, his production last year wasn't there. There's a lot to like about Kyler Yamamoto's game. Still, he's a feisty guy, even though he's so small. But if I'm him, I look at that and go, yeah, take a two year, take the Yessi Pulley RV type deal. Like 1.175, probably a little bit higher if I'm, Yamamoto, because Pugliarvi didn't prove he was a top six forward, where as of right now, Yamamoto has shown that he can play top six, um, that it may be 1.5, 1.75, but the Oilers have the control. You're an RFA. Bet on yourself and know that you get the chance to play with great players, that if you go produce this year and next year, yeah, that next contract's going to be worth something. So if I'm him, I'm looking at a two-year deal, I think. Yeah, and I, I, we had Dave McCarthy on with Greg, or, or sorry, with Strudwick earlier on this week, and he was saying, take that one-year deal, you know, the Oilers' top six situation has improved, you know, you're playing with better players, and now Hyman's there, so so maybe, just maybe, he's going to be that fixture on the left wing with Connor McDavid, you can play with Theon Dreisel for an entire year, but there's still a lot of people in Edmonton that aren't sold that he is a second-line player, maybe he's better suited on the third line. I mean, if he were to sign a one-year deal and, and somehow drop down to that third line, he he might lose some negotiating power there. Well, that's the thing. Like, that's a really betting on yourself. If you're Kyle Yamamoto being that young, going, yeah, I'll do it for one year. 
Because if he produces and if, if he can get back, let's say just use that dry line. If that yeah. dry line could get back to 80, 85% of what it did prior to COVID, he's made himself a lot of coin right there. But, you know, even if you play just okay, how much more money are you really going to get in the next contract? So I, I feel like the two years, you're like a Yessi Pugliarvi in this case, where Yessi had a good first year. We're all very impressed. He's now going to be the first line. And if he goes produces again, then I think he's going to get even more money. Whereas even if Yamamoto, I guess, produces this year, I think the Oilers could still go with only one year. Yeah. Right? I think one year, that's a pretty big bet on yourself. That's a really big bet. And you don't see players too often do that. We saw Tyson Berry do that. A little bit of a different situation where, you know, he, he, he was coming to a different spot where he knew the power play is going to be something else. And then he was going to be a Frazier next year. And the cap situation really hurt that. I don't think Yamamoto's in that same boat. Plus, he's not going to be a UFA. Do you think there is any concern, though? He signs a two-year deal. In that time, Dylan Holloway comes up. Raphael Lavoie maybe makes a jump up into the NHL. Who knows what happens with McLeod? That maybe they get to a point where the Oilers say, you know what, we don't really need you, Kyler. Uh, the last couple of years, you've been you've been good. We wouldn't mind taking you, but there's a battle there, and we want size on our team. And maybe in that time, he finds his way kind of like dropping down in the the organizational depth chart. But if he's producing, he'll have his money, or he'll yeah. be demanding his money, and the Oilers will be able to use him as a trade bait then. And you'll be able to go to a place that would use him in a higher role, and the Oilers would benefit from it as well. That I don't think I, I see that as a negative in any way, shape, or form. If he goes out and produces, it doesn't matter what those other young guys are doing. If you're not taking Yamamoto out of the lineup, if he's putting up points, if he's getting the assists or goals, and he's doing what you ask of him. But if you're the Oilers and you're looking and going, well, now we want to get Holloway in there or anybody mm-hmm. else in there, well, you're in a great. That's a great problem because you can go fill a hole somewhere else trade Yamamoto, fill that hole, and then you have a natural replacement. So I think that's actually a, a win-win for all sides. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if Kyrie Yamamoto produces and plays well, absolutely, it's a win. You push him down the depth chart. You know, he kind of got that Tyler Johnson comparison, right? And it might have been just because they both played uh, out in Spokane. And if he became the Tyler Johnson of the Edmonton Oilers and, you know, eventually was sliding down the lineup, then, I, and, you know, they win back-to-back cups. It's probably good for everyone, right? It's it's a good problem. If that's happening for the Edmonton Oilers, at least in the fan base, that means good things are happening. Uh, another rumor that we saw come out uh, Thursday afternoon, we talked about it on the Jason Greger show with uh, you and Hernan. Jake DeBrusque out in Boston, and it was a report, uh, it was a piece that Fluto Shinzawa did. He's with The Athletic, covers the Boston Bruins, and it was kind of a, I guess, just like a mailbag where people were asking him questions, and someone asked, can uh, Jake DeBrusque potentially be traded? And if so, could the could the Bruins bring back a draft pick and maybe a second-line center? And he dropped Edmonton and Calgary's potential teams that might be interested in the services of Jake DeBrusque, a guy who has scored 27 goals in an NHL season, and I think he played, you know... Over 65 games that year. So if you were to get that out of him, I mean, that's a guy I'm sure every Edmonton Oilers fan would would like to have on their team. But salary, things going back the other way. Is there any way you think the Oilers could make this happen? I don't see how. We talked about it. I just One, I I don't see that spot for him in the lineup right now because Ethan Bear was traded for Warren Fogle. And I think that's where you would slot in Jake DeBrusque. It's... You got Zach Hyman, you got Ryan Nugent Hopkins also on the left side. So unless you're looking to move Nugent Hopkins to be your third line center, and then you're going to roll three lines, then it makes sense to bring in Jake DeBrus, which isn't a terrible thing either. I, hey, if you could get three lines, you know, going, 
you're a better hockey team. But what are you going to also then give up to Jiffer to get Jake DeBrus? And I don't see that asset that the Oilers have that they can give up to go get him. Maybe it is. So, you know, we talked about it. Maybe it is a Kyle Yamamoto then at that point. Uh, in that report, you know, I think you had it there. It's a center that they would be looking for, or second line. I don't second line, yeah. I don't see a second line center that the Oilers have to, to move on from because, well, really they have two first line centers. When it comes to Leon Dreisel and Connor McDavid, both those guys are good enough to play first, and you're not trading Ryan Nugent Hopkins for Jake DeBrusque. So, what do you have outside of maybe Kyle Yamamoto, but then you got a hole on that right side, and I don't think you want to move Zach Hyman to a second line off of McDavid's wing, because you kind of brought him here to be McDavid's guy. And I think that we, the Oilers, Dave Tippett, and even Connor McDavid and Zach Hyman want to see what it looks like with Connor McDavid next to Zach Hyman. So I, I just don't know how you can get this done before this season. I'm also one of those guys, I just, I don't like bringing in the local kid. It's a great story. It's fantastic. There's just a lot more pressure. There's a lot more to it. And when things go bad, I think it's just worse when you're the local kid as opposed to not. Yeah, I mean, when Mike Comrie was scoring goals and having that one great year, he was beloved in town. But even then, I can remember being like 14 and hearing stories about him. Like the the, the spotlight was on him at, at local bars and things like that. Uh, I've known guys who played in the NHL, and they, they told me playing at Edmonton wasn't their first you know, desired destination. Even Struddy said, like, for an older guy, yeah, it's great. You know, you're mature. It's, you're, you're used to playing in the NHL. But for a young guy like DeBrusque, that might be tough. Struddy made the joke, though, that, uh, hey, it would be nice to see a DeBrusque score goals for the Oilers. So, Ooh. Ooh, uh, kind of a mean shot at you Louis. Know, I won't make those shots. I don't think I have the ability. <laughs> no, me neither. Uh, did Struts ever fight him? Did they ever I, get into it? I think he said that uh, Louis jumped him once, but Strutz, oh, jumped Strutz him. says oh. everyone jumps him. You know, they, Strutty that... didn't ign- start any fights in his NHL <laughs> career. It was always other guys jumping him. So uh, I got nothing but love for the DeBrusque family. They once brought ice cream cake into the studio, uh, Jake and Louis. So I'm I, I, big fans of the DeBrusque family, if you're asking me. Uh, Maddie, uh, let's look into the lineup right now because you talked about Zach Hyman and the ideal fit being that he would be that left wing for Connor McDavid, likely with Jesse Pugliarvi on the top line. Uh, I, I think the one thing that Dave Tippett has this year, and we're going to go into Dave Tippett a little bit more later on here in the show, but he's got some versatility. He's got guys that can play in and around the lineup. Obviously, Nuge can play center. He can bounce them outside. Uh, we think Hyman's got the ability to play wing on both sides. Leon Drysaddle, obviously, we know what he can do. Warren Fogel, Ryan McLeod, Derek Ryan. Zach Cassian, lots of pieces to move around. So for you, is that top line, lock it in right now, Hyman, McDavid, JP? I think it has to be. I think what JP did with McDavid last year, um, he's earned that spot to start there. And I think when you bring in a guy like Zach Hyman, part of that is to play with Connor McDavid to give him his winger. Because really, like, I don't think you start the season with McDavid and Dreisaitl together. you, you it's they're brilliant together. We know that. We know how how great of a duo those two guys are together. But it does make things easier for the opposition, knowing that if they shut down that one line, they shut down your two best players, and then there's a there's a drop off. Now, uh, it's less of a drop off this year when you're going to Nugent Hopkins and Zach Hyman yeah. than it was last year, but it's still a drop off. And you, you're best if you can like the Penguins model, have Crosby on one line, have Malkin on another. So the question is. Who's that winger you want with Connor McDavid? Is it Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Is it Zach Hyman? Based off last year, Nugent struggled five on five. Now, overall, he struggled five on five, but he did with, he played a lot of time with Connor McDavid that if I'm Dave Tippett, I'm very much wanting to see what Zach Hyman can do. And then I'm also trying to see, can we get that dry line 
to rediscover some of that magic. We didn't get it last year. We didn't see it from last year in the limited time that they played together. But it was there before the COVID shutdown, and it was there in the final 10 minutes of Game 4 of that bubble series against the Blackhawks when they were finally put together. Because if you can get that line back together, again, 80% of what they used to be able to do, the opposition has a tough decision to make. Do you put your best defenders out there, best shutdown guys, against Connor McDavid? Or do you go against what could be the, one of the best lines in all of hockey? And whatever you choose, well, either you open up one of the best lines in all of hockey to get lesser opponents, or you open up Connor McDavid with Zach Hyman. <laughs> so I think right off the bat, based on what we saw last year, and based on what we you would hope you could see from that dry line, I think it just seems natural that you have McDavid with Pulya Yarvi and Hyman, and then your next line will be dry settle, Nuge, and uh, uh, Kyler Yamamoto. Now, if only the Oilers get that Jordan Stahl for their third line center like the Penguins had. I mean, that, that would be the one that could just put them over the top. So let's say, you know, Dave Tippett, he's in a situation. It's, uh, trailing 2-1, two, two minutes left in the game. Obviously, he's going to put Drysaddle back on that top line with McDavid and Yessi Pulyarvi. Uh, they get a little worn out. They don't score. You've got Hyman, Nuge, and is it Yamamoto? That's, that's the next line you're rolling Yamamoto. out there. Yeah. I think that's, Yamamoto's got to earn it still this year. He's got to go to prove that he deserves to stay on the second line. But he's the guy that gets the chance to be there first. No one, like, I'm sorry, when I look at the rest of that right side, there's no guy I think deserves it more than Yamamoto necessarily. Now, could players go up and work their way in that spot if Yamamoto's not playing well? Absolutely. Zach Cassie in the past has shown he could play top six. Hasn't recently, but he's shown in the past. Archibald has been a guy that always can go up, I feel like, for a few games. I don't think he's a long-term solution, but for a few games, he's a guy that he just, he's that utility guy you could plug in anywhere in the lineup and he'll produce for a few games. But, but really none of those guys are long-term solutions, I think, for the right side when it comes to Cassian's age. And, you know, even Josh Archibald, I just don't think that's where his ceiling will go in, in, in the National Hockey League. I think he's kind of is what he is. Yamamoto's ceiling, I think still there's something there. So, it's him, um, but he's got to still show that he deserves to hold that spot. Yeah, and that that's the one thing that I look at. I mean, the second line, if if you needed a spark, I mean, Zach Cassian to me seems like the guy you throw in there, but he's got to be on his game. He's mm-hmm. just so inconsistent, and, you know, at times he can be invisible, so you're obviously not going to throw him out there. Uh, Kyler Yamamoto, I'm with you, though. I think he's he's the guy. He has to lose that job. I, yes. I, I don't think, you know, I, you take him out of there because Cassian is a good job. It'd have to be Kyler Yamamoto being invisible, which he never is because he's always going to work his butt off. He's a hard worker. Yeah. He's a little pesky bugger out there that, you know, he's, he's small, but he doesn't play that small. He finds a way. He sometimes takes some penalties that you need to, he needs to work on, but he's always giving you something. And that I'm with you. Like there's some people out there right now that are feeling like Zach Cassian deserves to be in the top six to start. And that's not, the, th- those are the same people that didn't give that to Jesse Puljujarvi when he was coming back from Finland. It was he's got to earn his spot, and I think with the way Zach Cassian has played over the last since his contract, really, he's got to earn his way back to the top six. Whereas Yamamoto, more recently than Cassian, has played better in the top six, so he deserves to start there and show that he deserves to keep that spot. And if it doesn't play, it doesn't play well, then you try someone else. Now, if Zach Cassian does show that he can play top six, it do change some things, though. I probably would put Cassian with McDavid and Dreisaitl and pull your RV with Nuge and Hyman, I think. Because when Zach Cassian is playing well, he we know he plays well with McDavid. Yeah. If it's late, that's maybe a way I would do it. 
You know what? Like that could work. Cassian, I mean, he, he's proven he can put the puck in the net, yeah. right? And and he's got that track record. Obviously, we know he's up and down, but you know, I, I think Dave Tippett, he's got a lot to work with here. And you know, in a pinch, uh, some people might say it's the blender, but there's there's lots of different line combinations you can go with. And we we haven't even really talked about Dylan Holloway, a guy who you know, depending on who you listen to, Craig Button of TSN is a huge fan of him, thinks he's NHL ready. Uh, potentially he can be a guy who draws into the third line. One guy I think is kind of the wild card, and I, I don't know if the Oilers want to rush him into the lineup or anything, but Raphael Lavoie, who it seems like wherever he goes, he's just kind of hit the ground running. He played in Sweden last year during the uh, the start of the season. He had 45 games, or sorry, 45 points in 51 games played, also had 80 penalty minutes, Six foot three. Uh He's 205, that's what he's listed as, but to me that, that screams a guy who can probably bulk up and put a little bit more weight on. Could be your ideal third line center uh, with a Condors 10 points in 19 games getting into the playoffs he has four points in six games like he, he's kind of the big wild card for me because down the road I mean I, I think he could almost be that perfect third line center for this team now for me though this year like I've seen it too often where uh, someone has a good training camp and earns that spot and stays and they, they can't produce in the regular season I could throw a lot of names out there I won't go to all of them but uh, Yamamoto is one of those guys actually that had I think one of his first training camps looked really good but yep. they sent him down to the minors and stuff but uh, Patrick Forson he had an unreal training camp and just he couldn't replicate in the NHL that to me I, I don't think there's enough that if I'm Dave Tippett or Ken Holland there's competition I'd allow Holloway and Lavoie to, to compete for a job but I think I have them right now almost penned in to go to the start in Bakersfield yeah, and go to the minors and go with Derek Roy maybe as your third line center and uh, Ryan McLeod as your fourth or switch those guys around or something like that. And and when it comes to the wingers, you know probably well we know Fogel's going to be the guy, but a uh, Pirellini or Shore would be fighting on one side. I, I think the other side we know it's Archibald and Cassian. And overall, th- those are the spots to be fighting. But I would wait and go when a player gets injured because that's going to happen. They're your, they're the call-ups. And see what they can do against NHLers in NHL games. I, It's not the same in training camp. That I would start them down in the minors, bring them up just like Leon Dreisaitl. And if they come up here and show they deserve to be in the lineup, you find a way to keep them in that lineup. But I wouldn't give it to them after training camp. Even if they have an unreal training camp, I would go, go down to the minors, keep doing it. You're getting the call-up. Come up and show you can do it next time, and you yeah. won't be going back to Bakersfield. That's how I would go about it. Yeah, and I, I just looked back at uh, Kyler Yamamoto. I think this, the training camp you're talking about, uh, he played the first nine games at three assists. Right. And then he went uh, back yep. to the Spokane Chiefs, scored 21 goals, had uh, 64 points in 40 games, lit it up, jumped with the Oilers the next year, then spent some time with the Condors. I, I would love to see, and I, I don't know which one it will be, but one of Tyler Benson or Cooper Marodi to get a shot, a chance to be potentially fourth line. Sure. Maybe you're that 13th forward and, and earn your way onto the team. Marodi last year had 21 goals in 39 games, Benson 10 goals, but finished with the same amount of points as uh, Cooper Marodi. They led the team down in Bakersfield. So kind of fed off each other. If it's Cooper Marodi, he plays center. Then, hey, your top line can be Tyler Benson, Raphael Lavoie, and Dylan Holloway. Give them 20 minutes a night. Let them develop. Let them play special teams. If it's Benson, maybe Marodi stays at center. You let uh, Lavoie play the wing with Dylan Holloway. Same thing. Just let them pay, play a ton and develop that way. But either way, I mean, I, I think your top line in Bakersfield is going to be ridiculous because I'm with you. As much as I'd like to see a fair competition, part of me is also like, let's see these guys when they're 21, 22. Let's not 
Let's not do it at 19 or 20 anymore. And yeah, and like if you do it in training camp, you do it in training camp. But come up and show you can do it in the regular season, then maybe you stay here. Yeah. Whereas with a Benson and a Marody, older guys, you know, 24, 23, Marody and, and Benson, that I'm with you. Like if they go earn it in training camp ahead of the Devin Shores or the Ryan McLeods or the Derek Roy's, uh, Derek Ryan, um, I don't know why I always go Derek Roy with him. I don't know why. Good reference. Though. It's, but Terry, it's, it's one of those, then yeah, you, you, they go in the lineup. They, they come in. But for the other guys, I think it's, the game is so different than they haven't experienced the NHL game that it's go learn in Bakersfield for a little bit. Go learn from Jay Woodcroft. And when that situation opens, cause it will open in the regular season, let's see what you can do in the National Hockey League. But till then, dominate that first line in Bakersfield. But maybe there's that chance for Tyler Benson, Cooper Marody. It's, it's kind of that point though with the Oilers. We'll see if they sign Cooper Marody or when they sign him here, but this is your last chance with the Oilers. If you want to play for this team, this is your training camp. Because if you can't crack the lineup this year, when are you going to crack the lineup with this team? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, you just think of some of those guys. Like Cooper Marodi, unless he can come to the NHL and prove that he, he deserves to be here, he's just Anton Lander 2.0. Guy who yeah. was always great in the AHL, like yep. almost point-per-game player, and then made it to the NHL. And it was, was it foot speed? Was it strength? I don't know. It just didn't work out. Do you know when it worked out in the NHL? It was a very brief time. But it was when Todd Nelson was the interim coach. It was the only time it worked. He was his coach in the minors, did well. But when he was with the Oilers and, and Todd Nelson was the coach, for some reason he was able to put up some points. <laughs> Todd Nelson, uh, assistant coach with the Dallas Stars. Now. Deserves a head coach. We, good job. I think we all want to see that, right? He did well when he took over for the Oilers and he was great with OKC. And the story is he's not a good interview. And I said, like, who cares? Who cares how well he interviews? He can produce. It seems like he did well with the Oilers. There was a chance he could have had the job. He's all, he looks like he's a good hockey coach. I want to see him get that coaching job. And when he does, I think it's going to go well. You know who, who could interview well was Dallas Akins. Yeah. Who went seven and 19 before being fired that year. Yeah. And now who do they bring to be their head coach of, uh, their minor team in Anaheim? I forgot. They got a guy from, uh, the OHL or something like that, which is, it's very much prime that this guy's taking over from Dallas Higgins at some point this year. San Diego goals. Uh, is it Joel? He's got a little, uh, Yoel, Yoel Bouchard. Yeah. Joel? Where was, does it, does it say where he coached last season? Or, oh man. I think it was geez. the OHL. Yeah. He played in the AHL for a long time. Uh, I got to check his DB, I think, because his Wikipedia page doesn't want to show me it. Um, funny story about that <laughs> Dallas Higgins. Um, when he was actually coaching the team, they were on a, the California road trip just before he got fired. And I was on like a, a bit of a sports trip. We went down with some friends. We did uh, Ducks and Oilers. Then we drove down to San Diego for a Chargers-Broncos game, did Disneyland, all that fun stuff. But after the game, we were walking out, and Bob Nicholson and Craig McTavish walked past us. And we were probably seven or eight big beers in having a good time and decided to get a picture with the two of them. They were, they were so nice, willing to do it. And as we're taking the picture, one of my friends just kind of leans in and says, Hey boys, yeah, you got to let Aikens go. He's, he's not the right guy. I think it was three days later. He was actually fired. So in my friends group, we think that we had a role in that one. <laughs> Obviously it was probably the on ice thing, but uh yeah, that, that was a tough era for the oil. That year when Todd Nelson coached Anton Lander, 38 games Lander played. It would have all been under Nelson. Maybe a couple games with uh, Craig McTavish. 20 points. Six goals and 14 assists. 
The rest of his career. It was the key. The rest of his first year with the Oilers, six points in 56 games, then one point in 11, one point in 27, three in 61, four in 22. But the one year with Todd Nelson, 20 points in 38 games. That's when it worked. He was the <laughs> Anton Lander whisper. That was the key to it all. I, I remember doing post games. I think it was me and Dino at the time. And we would uh, run after every game the coach's audio. Yeah. Akins would be like nine minutes. Like we could go outside. If one of us smoked, we could have had a smoke in that time. But when it came to <laughs> Todd Nelson, it was like 45 seconds. Well, it was like bang, 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 cape. That's it. I'll still never, I have, I have no patience for Dallas Akins, but I'll never forget the start of his year two as coach. He goes and he, he starts off speaking to the media by going, last year I learned I talked too much. So I, this year I'm going to talk less. And then he spoke for like 11 minutes. <laughs> Like, would he, what? With no questions asked, he, probably. He knew how to tell you what you wanted to hear. Yeah. He was great at that. And I remember I, I, I learned that in year two, finally, where I'm like, this, don't trust this guy when he speaks. And then in his final press conference, he was having his goodbyes. He was shaking everyone's hands. And for a moment, I was like, I feel a little bit bad for this guy. And then it like, no, no, Matt. No. He, he won you over again. He's got that mist. No, snap out of it. He's got the charm. And, uh, this, this has nothing to do with the Oilers, but the Chargers, who probably my favorite team of all time, uh, you know, I, I root for the Chargers and I don't try to hide it. He, uh, they hired Brandon Staley and I watch this guy talk. I'm like, my gosh, this guy, he just speaks so well and he sucks me in. And then I have to like, like you, I kind of like slap my face. Like, well, let's, let's see how the season goes because. <laughs> Dallas Akins was the exact same way. So yeah. the Chargers are going to be in the Super Bowl in the next three years, or they're going to suck <laughs> every single year, and he'll be out of the NFL. What's the swarm defense of the NFL? <laughs> like I don't know. Whatever he What's does with version, whatever he did with the Rams last year, like that's that's how I look at it. He's going to be out of the league in three years, or they're going to be a dynasty. <laughs> I see no no other way around it. That's just the way it's going to work out. Uh, we got to move on from Dallas Akins though, because oh man, we're probably giving people some uh, some bad uh, memories. I want to ask you about the Oilers' power play now. Okay. And uh, obviously we saw what Tyson Berry did when he kind of took the reins from Oscar Clefbaum. It took a little while, but he figured it out. Uh, McDavid, Drysaddle, Hopkins, those guys are going to be mainstays. James Neal leaves, so your net front presence probably becomes maybe Zach Hyman, maybe Jesse Pugliarvi. Do you do you have any preference in that fifth spot? Because McDavid, Nuge, Drysaddle, Berry locked in. Uh, I, I don't, I think it would be Zach Hyman because he'd be, you know, you're just loading it up already. You got this yeah. great power play. Why not just add another big piece to it? I don't mind Jesse Pugliarvi because, you know, we saw it a little bit last year with him and he was a guy that could produce, but it's just whoever can go and be the best pest and the best blocker in front of the net. That's who it should go to. Uh, to me, just that's the big thing. You you need to just make sure you're screening the goalie properly, and really the other four can do their job, and you're just there to you know again block block the goalie slash knock in the rebound. Make sure you're potting in those rebounds because if you're planted in front of that net, you're going to get some goals. Plain and simple. If you're doing your job properly, there's going to be a puck that's going to be loose, and you're going to knock it in, and you're going to get some goals. But I'm not too crazy about it. I'm more intrigued actually about Tyson Berry in a sense and going. When do you, when do the Oilers start the process to try to get Evan Bouchard there? You know, we don't see a lot of that second unit power play. The second unit power play generally is the net front presence change. That's really what the change becomes. But it, it like, 
this year, and I think for the most of it, you're going to go with Tyson Berry. I think maybe next year you start seeing that change. But if, if something happens to Tyson Berry, who gets the first shot? Is it going to be Evan Bouchard? Do you throw a young kid like that in that situation to quarterback the best power play in hockey? Or do you go with a Darnell Nurse? Or do you go with a Duncan Keith, who in his time in Chicago, he did run with some pretty good players out there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not questioning Tyson Berry to start the year because he should be there. And I think he should be there probably for the whole year. I'm more intrigued. When does the process start and how does it start to get Evan Bouchard? those time because you're not throwing out the second unit power play just to get Evan Bouchard some time because you're not taking McDavid Drysdale off the ice. And that's what I wonder. Like if, if there is a time where the power play does slump, are you doing something where maybe Tyson Berry and Nuge come off and you're throwing out Miesi Pugliarvi and Evan Bouchard? Like just let, let's change things up. Let's see what Bouchard can do. Or Darnell Nurse, like you said, I mean, Darnell Nurse was out there at times last season and looked great. So, but you have to get Evan Bouchard out there, I think, because he is the future of the position for the Oilers on that power play. Like, he's going to be the guy anchoring it on the blue line. He's got that uncanny knack of finding ways to get pucks through. You just have to get him out there eventually. You got, and you got to see if he can do it at the NHL level. We think that's going to be the case, but can he do it? And the only way to figure that out is by playing it. And the man who's going to make that decision, Dave Tippett, uh, Matt, we know he's going into year three of yeah. the contract. Both regular seasons, we've seen improvement. We've things get, seen things get better, but when it gets to the playoffs, it's been uh, quick exits for the oil. Do you think he's on the hot seat this year? Because, you know, we've seen it in Chicago. They, they've they had head coaches that get you there, and then someone to take you over the top, like at Joel Quinville. Well, I mentioned it with Dallas Akins that they brought in a new coach for the AHL affiliate. You do got Jay Woodcroft sitting there, and mm. it is the last year of Dave Tippett or uh, yeah, Dave Tippett's contract. There hasn't been a renewal. Y- you have to wonder if you're Ken Holland. When when might you have to make a move? If they get off to a rough start this year, I'm talking like two and seven, two and eight. Can you afford that? Can you afford to allow a little bit of a slump? I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think this team. I think this team's too talented. I think I like Dave Tippett as a coach. I think that he's been an excellent regular season coach for this team. But at that point, if there's a slump, does that eyebrow get raised? Initially, I think probably not, not crazy. I'm not going to put a, you know, if I had to put a percent on that, I'd maybe put it like a 10%. But if you get a first round exit again, I don't see how we can be the head coach next year, that season after. If you get three straight playoffs where you don't win one with Dave Tippett, I'm sorry. That's it for Dave Tippett as the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. So, this is a critical year for Dave Tippett in my eyes where it comes to they can't slump for a long period of time or questions might get raised because Jay Woodcroft is sitting there and for sure he needs a playoff series win because if he doesn't get one, he's not remaining as the head coach of this team. And I just wonder how much longer Jay Woodcroft is okay with being a head coach in the AHL factored yep. in that he's done a really good job balancing winning games and developing prospects. He's been great. So I, you got to think the NHL is going to come calling eventually. That might be that perfect transition, like you say, if there's no postseason success. Maddie, thanks a lot for doing this today. I appreciate you hopping on. Anytime. Always happy to do it. Great stuff from Matthew Wanick of TSN 1260 in Edmonton. You can hear him Monday through Friday, one half of the Dave Jamison show from noon until 2. Give him a follow on Twitter at Matthew Wanick. And if you are a CFL fan, make sure you tune in an hour before every Elks game on TSN 1260. It is the Green and Gold kickoff show with Heat and Hernan Salas. They're also back once those games wrap up. So a little shout out for the CFL fans out there. 
And with that, we're done for another edition of the Other Connor Podcast today. Coming up next time, we'll wait and see if anything happens with Kyler Yamamoto and see if there's any truth to the rumors with Jake DeBrusque out in Boston. But that'll be next time here on the show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Again, I'm Connor Halley. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Connor Halley. And finally, thank you to our sponsor, DraftKings and the Hockey Podcast Network. We'll talk to you next time here on the Other Connor Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.